Chapters 25 through 28 of An American Robinson Crusoe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Allison Hester of Athens, Georgia. An American Robinson Crusoe by Samuel B. Allison. Chapter 25 Robinson Again Explores His Island when robinson recovered his strength he had a strong desire to see more of the island at first he had been in constant fear of wild animals but now he thought he would like to see all there was to see in the island on the fifteenth of july he started out first he went to a brook which ran into the sea near his cave its water was clear and pure along its shore lay beautiful meadows as he came to the upper course of the brook the meadow gave way to forest on the border of the forest he found melons and grapes the night came on and he slept again in a tree the next morning he went farther and came to a clear rivulet here the region was wonderfully beautiful the flowers bloomed as in a garden and near the flowers stood splendid apple and orange trees he took as much of the fruit as he could carry and went on his way. This journey continued three days. The grapes which he had carried he dried in the sun and made raisins. The 10th of September came. One year had passed on the island. He was many hundred miles from home, alone on an island. With tears he cried out, oh what are my dear parents saying they have no doubt long given me up as dead if i could only send them a message to comfort them and let them know how much i love them the day was celebrated as a holiday he thanked god that he had given him so many good things often he had lived the whole day in care and anxiety now he tried to be more cheerful and meet the troubles of each day with courage but robinson was not yet satisfied he longed to know more of the island and prepared himself for a greater journey he slung his hunting pouch over his shoulder filled it with food took his bow and arrows stuck his stone hatchet in his belt and started on his way he traveled over meadows through beautiful forests in which were hundreds of birds he was delighted as they sang and fluttered about the journey was beautiful and pleasant to robinson in the forests he often saw small wild creatures but he shot nothing after the first night he slept under a tree in the soft grass for he now had no fear of wild animals along the shore he saw great groves of palms with their large nuts he saw, too, many goats in all parts of the island. Now he was ready to take the shortest way home. He had not gone far before he came into a dark forest. He became confused and wandered about for several days. On the fourth day, he came to a little pile of stones, which he had made to mark the way as he was going out. From this place, the way was easy to find. On this trip, he was gone already two weeks. End of chapter 25, Robinson Again Explores His Island. Chapter 26, Robinson and His Birds Of all the things he saw on his journey, Robinson was most delighted with the birds. 
They were of the most beautiful colors. The forest was full of them. They gleamed like jewels in the deep masses of foliage. In the morning, their singing filled the air with sound. Robinson had never taken much notice of the birds at home, but now every living thing attracted him. He loved to see them happy. He would watch often by the hour and learn the habits of nesting and getting food of nearly every bird on the island. Robinson did not know the names of many of the birds he saw on the island. He had to make names for them. The strangest thing he saw on his journey was the nest of what he called the yellow tail. This bird lives in colonies and makes its nest at the ends of the long leaves of a mountain palm. When he first saw these queer-looking sacks hanging from the leaves, he was amazed. He had never seen so strange a sight. From the end of each great leaf hung a long, closely woven nest. Robinson could not make out at first what they were. Soon, however, he saw the birds come out of the mouths of the nests. Here, 100 feet from the ground, they hung their nests, but they were perfectly safe. He had not gone far from the tree in which the yellow tails had their nests when suddenly startled by a voice crying, Who, who are you? Robinson was greatly frightened and hid beneath the drooping branches of a cedar tree. He feared every moment that the owner of the voice would make his appearance, but it kept at a distance. Every few minutes from the depths of the forest would come the doleful cry, Who, who are you? Robinson did not dare to stir from his hiding place. He remained there overnight. After the night came on, he heard the strange voice no more. The next day, he renewed his journey. He saw many birds that were wholly strange to him. There was a kind of wild pigeon that built its home in a hole in the rock. It was a most beautiful bird with long, slender, graceful feathers in its tail. He saw the frigate bird soaring high above the island. The number and beauty of the hummingbirds amazed Robinson. They were of all colors. One had a bill in the shape of a sickle. The most brilliant of them all was the ruby-crested hummingbird. Near noon, while Robinson was shielding himself from the scorching heat of the sun in a deep shaded glen, he was startled again by the strange voice crying, Who, who, who are you? He lay quite still, determined, if possible, to allow the voice to come, if it would, within sight. He heard it slowly coming up the glen. Each time it repeated the cry, it sounded nearer. At last, he saw, spying at him through the boughs of the tree under which he was lying, a large bird with soft, silky feathers of green and chestnut. Who, who, who are you? said the bird. Robinson could not help but laugh. He had been frightened at the cry of a bird. But the bird that interested Robinson most was the parrot. There were several kinds of them. They flew among the trees with great noise and clatter and shrieking. Robinson determined, if possible, to secure one for a pet. I could teach it to talk, he said, and I will have something to talk to. As soon as he returned home, he set about catching one. He noticed that a number were in the habit of visiting an old tree near the shelter every morning. He planned to snare one and tried several mornings, 
but he could not get one into the snare. He tried to hit one with his bow and arrow. He at last succeeded in hitting one and stunning it so that it fell to the ground. He ran rapidly to pick it up, but before he could get to where it lay in the bushes, it had disappeared. After thinking the matter over, he concluded that it would be much better to get a pair of young birds and raise them. The old ones would be hard to tame and difficult to teach. It was easy enough to find a nest in a hollow tree. He secured from the nest two birds just ready to fly. He made a cage for them out of willow rods. He placed the cage at the entrance of his cave and studied how he would feed them. Much to his surprise, the parent birds discovered their young ones and brought them food and fed them through the open work of the cage. When the birds were grown, they rapidly learned to talk. Robinson took great delight in teaching them. He taught them to call his name, and when he came near, they would call out, Poor old Robinson Crusoe! These birds remained for many years with Robinson. In fact, he was never afterward without a parrot. They helped him to pass away very pleasantly many hours that without them would have been sad. Another bird that Robinson loved was the little house wren. This bird was exceedingly tame and friendly. It was a very sweet and strong singer. It loved to make its nest in or near his shelter. There it would build and rear its young, within reach of his hands, while its throat was always bursting with melody. The mockingbird, too, always nested near, and awakened him in the morning with its wonderful song. Robinson became a great friend and favorite of the bird inhabitants on the island. They seemed to know him and showed no fear when near him. This pleased him very much. End of chapter 26, Robinson and his birds. Chapter 27, Robinson gets fire. Robinson was now pretty comfortable. He had his bower with its chair and table. He had his cave in case of danger. He had his cellar in which to keep his meat. He would sit in the shade near the door of his bower and think of the many things he should be thankful for. But there was one hardship that Robinson could not get used to, and that was the eating of raw food. How fine it would be if only I could parch a few grains of corn in the fire. I could live like a prince, thought he, if I had fire. I would grind some of my corn into flour and make some cornbread or cakes and cook rice. He did so long for roasted meat and determined again to make the attempt to get fire. Robinson was fast losing his idle, thoughtless ways of doing things. He had become a thoughtful and diligent man in the short time that he had been on the island. Trouble and hardship had made a man of him. I must carefully think over the whole matter of getting fire, he said. He had failed twice and was now resolved to succeed. If the lightning would only strike a tree, he thought, and set it on fire. But he could not wait for such a thing to happen, and how could he keep it when once thus obtained? It was clear he must have some way of producing fire when he wanted it, just as they did at home. He thought over the ways he had tried and the one most likely to be successful. He resolved to make a further trial of the method by twirling a stick in his hands. He selected new wood that was hard and dry. 
he carefully sharpened a stick about eighteen inches long and standing it upright in a hollow in the block of wood began to roll it between his hands by the time robinson's hands were well hardened it seemed that he was going to succeed at last but he lacked the skill to be obtained only by long practice if i could only make it go faster he said there must be some way of doing this i believe i can do it i used to make my top spin round with a cord i wonder if i could use the cord here the only cord he had was attached to his bow he was going to take it off when a thought struck him he loosened the string a bit and twisted it once about his spindle then he drew the bow back and forth the spindle was turned at a great rate he saw he must hold one end with his left hand while the other rested in the hollow in the block with his right he drew the bow back and forth how eagerly he worked he had twirled but a few minutes when the dust in the hollow burst into fire from the heat produced by the rapidly twirling spindle robinson was too overjoyed to make any use of it he danced and capered about like one gone mad until the fire had gone out but that was of no matter now since he could get fire when he wanted it he hastened to make him a rude fireplace and oven of stones he hollowed out a place in the ground and lined and covered it with large flat stones on one side he built up a chimney to draw the smoke and make the fire burn brightly he brought wood and some dry fungus or mushroom this he powdered and soon had fire caught in it he kindled in this way the wood in his stove and soon had a hot fire the first thing he did in the way of cooking was to roast some rabbit meat on a spit or forked stick held in his hand over the fire nothing robinson had ever eaten was to be compared to this i can do many things now thought robinson my work will not be nearly so hard my fire will be my servant and help me make my tools as well as cook my food i can now cook my corn and rice End of chapter 27 Robinson Gets Fire Chapter 28 Robinson Makes Baskets Robinson still continued anxious about his food supply when he could no longer gather it fresh from the fields and forest. Corn had again become ripe. He had found in a wet, marshy place some wild rice plants loaded with ripened grain. As he now had fire, he only had to have some way of storing up grains and he would not lack for food he knew that grain stored away must be kept dry and that he must especially provide against dampness in his cave or his bower if he only had some baskets these would be just the thing but how was he to get them robinson had never given a thought to either material or the method of making them he, however, was gradually acquiring skill and confidence in himself. So far, he had managed to meet all his wants. He had invented tools and made his own clothes and shelter. And now, he said to himself, I will solve the new problem. I must first study the materials that I have at hand. He remembered the splint market baskets in which his father took vegetables home from the store. He recalled how thin the splints were woven. They went over and under, he said. That is simple enough, if I had the splints. 
he set himself diligently to work to find a plant whose bark or split branches could be used for splints he tried to peel off the rough outer bark of several trees in order to examine the inner layers of soft fibrous material he found several trees that gave promise of furnishing abundance of long thin strips but the labor of removing the bark with his rude imperfect tools was so great that he resolved that he would have to find some other kind of material hmm, why need the strips be flat he thought i believe i could weave them in the same way if i used the long thin tough willow rods i saw growing by the brookside when i was returning from my journey he found on trial that the weaving went very well but that he must have strong thick rods or ribs running up and down to give strength and form to his basket he worked hard but it was slow work it was three days before his first basket was done he made many mistakes and was obliged many times to undo what he had accomplished in order to correct some error and at last when he had woven the basket as large as he thought was suitable for his purpose he did not know how to stop or finish the top so as to keep the basket from unraveling at last he hit upon the plan of fastening two stout rods one outside the other inside the basket these he sewed firmly over and over to the basket with a kind of fiber from a plant he had discovered that looked almost to be what he had heard called the century plant in the parks at home on attempting his next basket he thought long how he might improve and save time he must hasten or the now almost daily rains would destroy his ripened wild corn and rice if i could use the coils of that long grass i saw growing in the marsh beside the rice he thought i could make twice the progress he gathered an armful twisted it into cables about an inch thick and wove it into his frame of upright rods instead of the horizontal layer of willow canes this answered his purpose just as well and rendered the making of large baskets the work of a few hours he found however that the willow rods or osiers were not pliant enough to work well in fastening his coils of grass cables together he tried several things and at last succeeded best when he used the long thread-like fiber of the century-like plant he had however to make a stout framework of rods he would first coil his grass rope into this frame and then sew it together with twine or thread made from this fiber he afterwards tried making smaller and finer baskets out of the fiber that he had discovered which could be easily had from the thick-leaved plant he thought he had seen at home he first used long tough fine roots he had seen when digging up the tree at the mouth of his cave afterwards he discovered some tall tough reeds growing nearby he laid in a supply of those he found that when he wanted to use them a good soaking water made them as pliable and tough as when first cut the making of the baskets and storing up grains made it possible for robinson to become a farmer and thus make himself independent this thought was a great relief to him end of chapter twenty eight robinson makes baskets